AI with Sally, a podcast that takes a closer look at some of the most interesting technology stories on artificial intelligence and machine learning. We'll hear about the latest in hardware and software that has a big impact on the world of AI. I'm your host, Sally Ward-Foxton. In this episode, we'll hear CEOs of the two biggest GPU companies talk about the future of accelerated computing. We also have an exclusive interview with Sci5's President of Engineering and Product, Chris Latner. We'll be talking about the challenges of building an AI processor for modern evolving AI workloads and how and why software is holding back AI performance today. You can hear the full interview later in this episode. But first, to the biggest GPU in the world. The day before market leader NVIDIA's GPU technology conference, competitor AMD dropped a bombshell. The AMD Instinct MI200, a dual-die monster GPU. This massive GPU is intended for supercomputers and data centers that need to accelerate scientific and AI workloads. Here's AMD's CEO, Lisa Su, introducing the MI200 at its launch. The MI200 series delivers up to a 4.9x increase in HPC performance over the competition. It's just a massive step. With this leap in capability, MI200 will set new performance records across a broad set of HPC applications. MI200 delivers up to 1.2x higher peak flops of mixed precision performance for leadership AI training, helping to fuel the convergence of HPC and AI. AMD's MI200 is clearly intended to go up against NVIDIA's flagship GPU, the A100, which is currently the market leader in enterprise and data center acceleration. For a quick comparison, AMD's MI200 can do 47.9 teraflops double precision vector compute, which is used in scientific computing, compared to the NVIDIA A100 at 9.7 teraflops. For half-precision compute, more typically used for workloads like AI, the MI200's performance is 383 teraflops, while NVIDIA's A100 is at 312 teraflops. So while AMD is still winning, the advantage is less pronounced at lower precision. Here's AMD's Forrest Norod, Senior Vice President and General Manager for AMD's Data Center and Enterprise Solutions Group. Lifting the lid, you'll see the multi-die construction of the MI200. Dual AMD CDNA2 dies, four ultra high bandwidth, low latency interconnects between them, eight stacks of HBM2E memory, and another eight infinity fabric lengths to connect to Epic CPUs and other GPUs in the node. We put all of this together by continuing our packaging innovation. Today, we are introducing AMD EFD, Elevated Fanout Bridge, a silicon bridge technology. Unlike substrate embedded silicon bridge to architectures, EFD enables use of standard substrates and assembly techniques, providing better precision, scalability, and yields while maintaining high performance. It was also revealed at the launch that AMD's Instinct MI200 will power the US's first exascale supercomputer, Frontier, at Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. During the launch, Oak Ridge Lab Director Thomas Zachariah called the MI200 the most powerful processor that's ever been made available to scientists, with a single GPU more powerful than an entire node on the US's current fastest supercomputer, Summit. He also said that Frontier is coming online soon and it will be available to scientists early next year. 
NVIDIA's GPU Technology Conference, as usual, kicked off with a glimpse of the future, courtesy of an announcement-packed speech from NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang. He talked a lot about the virtual world, the metaverse, and about NVIDIA's metaverse technology platform, which is called Omniverse. As well as powering consumer virtual reality applications, Omniverse has potential for simulation. It can be used to simulate realistic environments to train algorithms for self-driving cars and autonomous robots of all kinds by creating data that's already automatically labeled and enabling data on edge cases it might be difficult or dangerous to gather data on in the real world. Omniverse will also be used for digital twins, large-scale simulations of industrial facilities, buildings, or entire cities, or even for a digital twin of our whole planet. One of the most exciting announcements was that NVIDIA is going to build a supercomputer to run a digital twin of Earth called Earth2, uh, which will be used to simulate and predict climate change. For scientific computing, Huang predicted a million-fold leap in performance for computational science. Here's a clip of Jensen Huang from his keynote speech, explaining the three connected areas which will drive this level of performance. The software revolution of deep learning is coming to science. This is extremely exciting and will make a big impact. Three connected dynamics will give us a million X leap in computational sciences. Let me explain. First, accelerated computing, reinventing the full computing stack from the chip and system, the acceleration libraries to the applications gave us a 50x boost. Second, the boost launched deep learning, triggered the modern AI revolution, and fundamentally changed software. The software that deep learning writes is highly parallel, making it even more conducive to GPU acceleration and scalable to multi-GPU and multi-node. Scaling to large systems like DGX SuperPod gave us another 5,000x speedup. Third, the AI software written with deep learning can predict results 1,000 to 10,000 times faster than software written by hand, busting open completely the way we solve problems and the problems that are even solvable. 50x times 5,000x times 1,000x gives us 250 million x. Of course, the mileage will vary and much depends on the scale you invest. But when a solution to a worthwhile problem is within grasp, the investments will come. Look at the investments that are going into AI, robotics, self-driving cars. The signs are clear. Accelerated computing, doing AI at data center scale, will give a giant boost in simulation performance. Amongst the scores of other announcements in the GTC keynote was a machine learning framework for physics ML called Modulus. Modulus can train neural networks using governing physics equations, along with observed or simulated data. So it can be used to build AI that understands the laws of physics and can simulate complex systems from protein engineering to climate science. Also in Jensen Huang's speech was NVIDIA Omniverse Avatar, a platform for building AI-powered animated avatars using the company's speech AI, computer vision, natural language understanding, recommendation algorithms, and simulation technologies. Huang's demo was a cartoonish avatar of himself called Toy Jensen, complete with a leather jacket, obviously. Toy Jensen could understand questions he was being asked and reply in real time. His voice, while slightly stilted, was a rather spooky facsimile of the real Jensen Wang. Here's what Toy Jensen sounds like. Hi, please ask me anything. What are the greatest threats of climate change? 
The greatest threats of climate change are the effects on human health, food security, water supplies, and the environment. How do astronomers look for exoplanets? Most exoplanets are found via the transit method. That was the case for the TRAPPIST-1 planets. Tell me more about that method. The transit method is when a planet passes in front of its star. The amount of light blocked tells astronomers the size of the planet. The duration of the transit tells astronomers the orbital period of the planet. NVIDIA's Omniverse Avatar platform can be used for virtual customer service assistance in all kinds of industries from ordering food in a restaurant to an in-vehicle navigation assistant. The avatar's answers, incidentally, are powered by NVIDIA's Megatron 530B, a 530 billion parameter language generation model, which is one of the largest neural networks in the world. So we talk a lot about AI chips on this podcast, but of course, software is also absolutely crucial to ensure we can use these chips effectively and efficiently. Who better to speak to on both the difficulties of building flexible but powerful AI hardware and the importance of software to AI performance than Sci-Fi's Chris Latner, the creator of the LLVM compiler infrastructure, who previously led development teams at Apple, Tesla, and Google. Chris joined Sci-Fi two years ago as president of engineering and product, working on the company's RISC-V IP offering for AI and ML. In my conversation with Chris, we discussed how difficult it is to use hardware efficiently in AI applications and Sci-Fi's software-first approach to development. Absolutely delighted to be joined by Chris Latner from Sci-Fi today. He's Sci-Fi's President of Engineering and Product. Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, Chris, maybe let's start by talking about the challenges of building an AI-capable processor. Um, I think flexibility is something uh, we've talked about before on the show. It's an ongoing challenge, um, whether it's in the data center, whether it's for the edge AI, the workloads are evolving really, really quickly. So something we're designing today, doing matrix multiplication or convolution uh, accelerators, I, it won't always be relevant, right? New types of AI models are coming in. We're talking more now about attention-based networks, transformers, stuff like that. Bearing in mind the length of the chip development cycle, how do we go about designing a chip that's firstly adaptable enough to accelerate different kinds of workloads today, but also can can cope with the the future proofing that we need for AI? Wow, we're starting we're starting lightweight here. <laughs> that's, that's a big question, right? Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I think that you really cut right to the heart of one of the biggest challenges in AI right now, which is that the research side, the models that people are coming out with, uh, academia and in industrial research labs are coming out with amazingly cool new things, but we can't always deploy them. And meanwhile, even on the training and the research side, a lot of the research gets channeled towards what is best for the accelerators that the teams have access to. And so it's a really interesting place where we all see the opportunities and the impact that AI can have on everything, and yet it's being held back in all these different ways. So to me, I think that there's different parts of the problem that we need to we need to solve and address as an industry. As you say, the hardware design cycles do take two, three years. And so what we have to do is we can't just build an optimized solution for running mobile net or running you know, Inception V1, right? We, we have to think about the problem structurally and understand kind of how the workloads evolve, understand where things are going, 
And we do need to optimize matrix multiplications and convolutions, as you say, but we can't make it so that, you know, if it's not that, you fall all the way back out of the memory hierarchy across the PCI bus and then end up completely losing the benefit of the accelerator because you have, as you say, you know, you're running BERT and you have an attention layer in the middle of your network, right? Yeah. And so to, to me, I think that the, the there's, there's two aspects of this. There's a hardware problem and a software problem. The hardware problem is you need to have flexible CPU-like technology in the same same memory hierarchy as your accelerator, right? And so what that means is you need to be able to say, okay, I prefer to be running a 2D convolution or 2D matrix multiplication or an element-wise op, fully accelerated, full blast, peak peak tops from my uh, device, whatever, whatever it is that you think you're doing as an AI accelerator. But then when you run into that one weird new thing, that custom op, that that the special sauce that makes the algorithm a little bit more sparse or makes has a 10x improvement in whatever it is that the researchers came up with, you have to be able to run it fast. And what I've seen is I've seen a problem where uh, the 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 fallback, the hardware fallback, ends up going all the way from this like fully optimized 2D, you know, using the parallelism of the silicon design, back to the host in many cases, in which case you're copying terabytes of data across memory hierarchies and you're losing tremendous amounts of power and performance, or the fallback is to a wimpy little scalar core. And so you're going from 2D acceleration down to like, okay, well, I'm going to take one float at a time or one intake at a time. And and you just have effectively no throughput. And so suddenly Amdahl's law bites you because you've you're accelerating a big part of the problem that then becomes a huge issue and the value of the accelerator is lost. So there is this, there is a point in the space between matrices and scalars. It turns out and they're called vectors, <laughs> and so and so one of the things that I that I really believe in and something that Sci Five is doing is providing that blended compute solution where you can have high performance matrix operations, but then when you fall back, you get the full power of vectors, and so it's not going to be as fast as running your uh, fully dedicated custom silicon necessarily, but it's not going to be uh, two orders of magnitude worse. And so we believe this gives the flexibility of getting, um, you know, the evolving evolving workloads, fully general processing, a lot of compute throughput, but also keeping it close to where the data already is, saving power and making sure that you're not losing performance by pushing pushing data all around. Now, th- there's a second half of that, which is another really important piece of this, which is the software side. Yeah. And so w- one of, one of the major issues, the another major issue we have, both for generality but also for kind of usability, deployability, and like the reality of AI is that, you know, we have a lot of accelerators that claim many, many tops, <laughs> right? And yep. and yet the the theoretical tops that comes from when you take all of your units and you multiply them together by the number of instances, you multiply by the frequency, you, multi- you just do this simple math, isn't actually what matters. What actually matters is the throughput running a model or the throughput yep. training a model, right? And so it turns out that that throughput of actually utilizing the hardware to solve a problem is bound by both the hardware, but then also the software side of this. And so this is where the compiler, the runtime, all these other aspects of the software stack really matter. And people generally don't talk about that because it's so much easier to explain. You multiply these these numbers together and you get a peak, peak tops theoretical throughput. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're product driven and you're customer centric, then that's what the customer will see. And so this is where I'm a big fan of things like MLPerf, which is really trying to take take the industry and lift it into a more, uh, you know, what matters to users 
place. Um, But I still think that this is one of the areas where the ML infra and ML industry is just still growing and still quite immature. And so there's a lot to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, again, I think uh, we're kind of used to to talking about SOPs as a a measure of performance, like you say. Um, But I understand that in the real world, uh, we are talking about things like uh, utilizing the hardware efficiently. I was interested to hear you say that this is kind of bound by software also, because that's not a viewpoint I hear very often. Uh, Tell us a bit. Can you tell us a little more about uh, the importance of software here and and what that means? Oh yeah, I'm I'm very happy to talk about that. So I, I look at the software side of AI as again one of the, one of the major things that's holding the promise of AI back from having the impact it should. And so you can see this in spades across the industry. And it, the 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 symptoms are quite different depending on which part of the industry you look at. So on the one hand, you can see an explosion of AI accelerator companies. They lay down the gates, they bring up the the chip, and then they forget about the software, and then they can't actually make it a product. And I think that we've seen over 100 AI accelerator companies, and many of them will die specifically because of the software problem. Um, so that's that's one aspect. And there, it's, it's just rather unfortunate that this is really hard, right? And so yeah. it's that's fairly inherent to the problem, but um, but I think that's a real concern. On the training side of things, you, you see the challenges of, um, you know, uh, let's say competing with NVIDIA and the, yeah. the loss that, that CUDA has on the industry. And um, while that is... Kuda's dominance there is great for NVIDIA in some ways. Um, from a technology perspective, I think it's holding back a different kind of innovation. And what that means, what that what that leads to is, um, I think that NVIDIA's products are great, so don't get me wrong about that. I have nothing against them, and I'm really impressed with what they've done to lift AI and, and move many things forward. Um, but I also believe in like competition and <laughs> the innovation that comes by having credible alternatives. And a lot of the AI, framework, AI frameworks are really wrapped around uh, uh, CUDA. And because they're wrapped around CUDA, it makes it very difficult for even very similar products, like for, for example, those from AMD, to, to play in the same space. Um, if you look on the mobile side, I think the, the problem is even worse. And on the mobile side, there really isn't a good way to deploy AI. The best we have, uh, in, in my opinion, is, is a framework called TensorFlow Lite. TensorFlow Lite has a number of limitations and concerns. Um, it, it is very difficult to deploy new models through it. And so I think that this uh, becomes a big challenge. And particularly when you look on the mobile space and Android, for example, there's a, a huge amount of hardware diversity, and it's very difficult to target that for an app developer. And so software in general in the AI space is, uh, <laughs> I think, really immature, um, even within the CUDA camp in NVIDIA, I think there's a lot of technology that hasn't yet been deployed. And um, many of the compiler advances and other things like that that we've seen in research haven't yet impacted the products. And so it's an exciting time in the space. This stuff is moving really quickly. And so I, I see that as a challenge, but I don't see it as a uh, obstacle or roadblock. I think this is something that, you know, being part, a member of the AI community, it's just exciting to see how fast things move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um- I know you're a fan of the, uh, well, the software first ideology or software first mindset. Could you tell us a little bit about it? What do we mean by software first and and why is this so important for AI specifically? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, here, software is a big thing, and it can mean multiple different things to different people. Um, I have a long background in software. It's not that you know I'm overly biased by that. I hope. What what I mean by that is that uh, when when SciFive says that we build software first products, what we're saying is that we're coming at it from the problem being solved. And I love AI. I know you love AI, but <laughs> AI is really not the point. <laughs> AI is an implementation detail. It's the best way to solve classes of some really important problems. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, at the end of the day, a researcher training model is also an implementation detail of getting that model eventually deployed into a product. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that we love about AI is it makes experiences possible. The other you can't write a for loop to detect a cat. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, and so, there's classes. Pretty much anything you interact with in the human world ends up being better served with AI than with other other approaches in software. Now, what that means to me is that. Uh, devices are becoming more personal. AI should be rising very quickly and being used in many different ways and many of the different electronics we use. But the AI, again, is there to solve problems where you want to integrate it into an application. And so if it's in a yeah. mobile experience, what you're trying to do is you're trying to pull frames off a camera, you're trying to detect a face, you're then trying to put some funny hat on somebody <laughs> and show it <laughs> on the screen, right? And yeah. so the integration with the software that exists, the OS, the drivers, but also the application is really important. And that's something that I think that, again, you come back to multiplying tops together versus um, the achieved performance, right? This is another huge gap in the ecosystem where, you know, if you're dealing with a, a, a very distributed and uh, parallel accelerator that's running separate from your CPU, this, the API to talk to it shouldn't be a synchronous API. It should be an asynchronous API, right? And even simple yeah. things like that are still a challenge for the industry. So at sci what we're trying to do is we're trying to build from the application towards the product and build both the hardware and the software together so that they work well, can be deployed, can run models, can scale. And that's, I think, a, a different approach than saying, okay, I have a novel way to lay out gates in a rectangle. Let's see uh, how what I can go use it for, right? Right, right, right. Is software first a way that you encourage your customers to work? I know it's the way you guys work, but do you kind of encourage your customers in that direction as well? And how does it fit with what they're doing? Well, I think that a lot of the way we look at AI is an it just works kind of approach. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because um, the the reality of most AI accelerators outside of the the big guys like NVIDIA and the data center and things like this, uh, for example, if you look at edge edge AI, right? It's it's really interesting to me how uh, you know you look at a phone, you look at an IoT device, you look at a smart camera. These are these are products where performance and power efficiency are paramount. Right. And so accelerators, therefore, are paramount and are really important for achieving the experiences we want to achieve. On the other hand, the, the act of trying to take a model that a researcher has trained and deploying it onto one of these accelerators um, is not great. <laughs> Let me be polite and say it's not great. <laughs> Okay. Um, what, what what you'll quickly find is that the tools that you get from various accelerator companies, they crash when you give them a model that they've never seen before. In many cases, you have to pay the company to port your model for you. Um, they won't even run the latest models because they, uh, for example, you mentioned attention, right? They, they can't do a softmax. And yeah. so uh, this leads to lots of challenges where 
again, you're you're buying an accelerator way ahead of time for your product, and you want to make sure that it has the performance you need to achieve the target metrics and the frames per second or whatever it is. But you then get to the point where you're trying to deploy the model or trying to deploy an improved version of it, and it won't even compile, won't even build. Yeah. Yeah. So with Sci-Fi, what we're trying to do is say, okay, well, it just works. We run any anything TensorFlow Lite does, for example. Right? Our current product runs everything TensorFlow Lite does, and it's extremely efficient at the stuff that matters, but you don't run into this problem where you walk up and say, hey, I have a reasonable model, and it, the tool crashes, and I have no idea why. Right? And so yeah. it's, 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 it's just a very different kind of approach. And to my mind, it's it's really about the um, making AI matter, making it accessible, making it scale, and this is about kind of reducing the barriers and while still delivering high performance and flexibility and the power of RISC V for all these uh, for all these demands. So I understand Sci Five uh, has a product out already. Uh, we're talking about the Sci Five Intelligence X two eighty, which is a core designed for AI workloads. I believe at the edge. Um, can you tell us a bit about how how the design of it um, incorporates the flexibility that we need for these evolving workloads that we're talking about? Um, how future proof is it, um, and how do, and 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 how does the software really help that story? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me take a step back and talk a little bit about where we're coming from at Sci Five. Mm-hmm. So Sci Five Sci Five is a company founded and cre- founded by the creators of Risk Five. And so Risk Five is a CPU ISA. It runs through our veins. This is a lot of what we're doing, pr- driving, propelling, and building the Risk Five ecosystem. High performance cores, AI. There's a lot of stuff in this space. Okay. So when you look at the X280. One of the things you have to understand is that Sci Five is not an SOC. We will sell you the chip company. We're an IP yep. company. Yep. Okay. And one of the really differentiated ways that Sci Five builds IP is by building configurable IPs. And so the X280 is perhaps less less a product than a product family. And so what we can do is we can build the X280 in many different configurations. And you can see that this is, um, uh, you can see we have a public design win with a company called TenseTorrent. They're a large-scale data center training accelerator company led by industry visionaries and folks like Jim Keller and things like this, right? I mean, these these are not slouches. they're on their second or third generation of product, right? I mean, these, they, they, they're, they're crushing it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, and what they're tackling there is they're tackling this high-end training problem, or, you know, full reticle chips are nearly so, right? I mean, this is, this, is, this is one extreme end of the space. On the other hand, we have customers that are taking the X280 and deploying them into battery-powered smart cameras. Yep. And what, what that comes down to is two things. One is that you have uh, the X280 and the hardware design and the scalability of the core itself, which is um, configurable and scalable, and we can, we, can, we can do many things with it and use, utilize it in multiple different ways. But then um, also you have the power of RISC V, and you have the, the software that goes with that. And when it comes to building uh, that AI software stack, having that bottom layer be powered by RISC-V is incredibly valuable. <laughs> and this is something that I think that many AI accelerator companies don't really understand, is that um, uh, all accelerators roughly have to have a control processor to boot up and do things, orchestrate, talk to the host, all this kind of stuff. And if you, the, the natural thing for a hardware team to do is to say, hey, great, we're going to build this big accelerator. Oh, and we need a control processor, so I'll lay down 
a VLIW thing that I my team will custom design or I will build uh, you know take some some scrappy open source thing or you know the, the, you, you start with uh, often it's fun to build a little CPU <laughs> and so you, you get something wonky on the side but as a consequence of that you don't get a tool chain you don't get a C compiler you don't get LVM or GCC that you can build things for and so now as you build up the software stack for your accelerator, what ends up happening is you go through these natural series of evolutionary steps, where first you need to you need to boot it. Okay, you need a firmware team. Fine, like yeah. that 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 you can do. Then you get up to I need to write numeric kernels, and I need to, you know, if I if I'm offloading from the hard coded accelerator, suddenly I need to run softmax or something or some sparse algorithm on on this thing, right? Well, you can write that in assembly. <laughs> um, <laughs> But isn't C nice? Isn't C++ nice? Isn't this whole tool ecosystem really great? As AI compilers are evolving, we're getting technologies like MLIR and TVM and things like this. And and in this space now, you need another level of software abstraction. And, uh, and oh yeah, by the way, debuggers and debug and trace and security and like all these other things come into the mix with modern modern designs. And so building on RISC five gives you all of that. Out of the box, <laughs> and it turns out that RISC V as an ISA is a very scalable design, and so you can cut it down so that you know a Sci Five core can go down to fifteen thousand gates or something, right? Which is effectively uncountable in a <laughs> in a modern design. <laughs> and so, uh, but you get you know you can write you can have a performance model for it, or you can step through it in simulation. You can, there, all these things come with that. That if you're an AI accelerator team, you never really invest in the little control processor because that's not the primary mission of the company or of the team. And so it turns out that that really comes to bite the software team when they have to go bring up the whole software stack. Now, um, you know, we've seen some really credible and very interesting products enter the space, so it's not impossible at all. But one of the things that the X280 brings is that because it's powered on RISC V, our customers enjoy that they get all of that as part of the deal. Right, and they get high-performance vector design that then can handle offloading the weird algorithms. They get matrix acceleration, and they get you know Bfloat 16 and the other now industry standard data types and things like that. And so the X280 as a product brings all of that, and because it's configurable and scalable, it allows them to get a product tuned for their use case they can't get anywhere else. Thank you so much to Chris Lattner for joining us on the podcast and for the brilliant discussion on Sci-Fi's software-first approach for the next generation of AI applications. That brings us to the end of the episode. Please tune in again next time to hear more news and views on AI, machine learning, and the technologies that enable them. If you're listening to this on the podcast page at eetimes.com, links to articles and topics we've discussed are shown on your left. AI with Sally is brought to you by Aspen Core Media. The host is Sally Ward-Foxton and the producer is James Ede. The clips of Lisa Sue and Forrest Norrod are courtesy of AMD. Clips of Jensen Wang and Toy Jensen are courtesy of NVIDIA. Thank you for listening. Thank you.